All right, first things first, I want no emails about spoilers, okay? Listen, this movie came out on November 22nd. It's February 19th. You had three months to see it, all right? So don't email me about spoilers, all right? Second, if you didn't like this movie, get out, <laughs> okay? Uh, this was, it's always going to be an incredibly special movie to me and my family because I've got an almost five-year-old and an almost three-year-old, and this was genetically engineered in a lab to speak to them. Uh, and this was the first movie we saw in the theaters as a family. Aww. All right. <laughs> and during this song, right, because this is, if you saw Frozen 1, this is the let it go moment, right? So I know what they're trying to do to me, and I turned to my wife, and I was like, my goodness, you know, it's just that, that good, uh, right? So again, no emails about spoilers, but we are going to talk about this a little bit. Why? Why did I have the choir sing the first part of Elsa's journey? Why did I show you that clip? Here's why. Here's why. I deeply believe that we need to be not just cultural consumers, but we also need to be cultural analyzers. Not just cultural consumers, but we also need to be cultural analyzers. Now, what do I mean? What do I mean by that? Well, there's various cultural artifacts that exist in our world. Thousands of them, millions of them, songs, books, movies. And I'm deeply convinced that all of these are teaching us something. All of these are asking deep and existential questions about the world. And they're, they're giving answers to those questions. What does this thing that I'm consuming, what does it teach me about God? What does it teach me about myself? What does it teach me about the world and what is wrong with it and what is right with it? The moment that we turn off our cultural analysis and just become cultural consumers, we're doing something very dangerous. And notice that I, I didn't say we just need to be cultural analyzers. You know, I'm not, I'm not telling you not to consume culture, right? I'm just saying while you consume it, in addition to consuming it, we also need to analyze it. So here's, here's what I think Frozen is doing here. And I agree with so much of this, but here's ultimately, as I watch this movie, as I listen to these songs, here's ultimately what I think Frozen is teaching us. You didn't know you are going to get this this morning, but here we are. I think Frozen is teaching us this, and I've got it on a slide. The highest and truest and best meaning that we can have in life has to be self-created and self-given. The highest, truest, best meaning that we can have, that we can possess, has to be self-created and self-given. Okay? Now, I'd love to try to show this to you. You may not agree with that. You've seen the movie. You're like, I didn't see that, so let's walk through it a little bit. And again, sorry about the spoilers, but here we are. The whole movie is about Elsa's journey. She's trying to continually figure out who she is, what her meaning in life is, what her purpose is. You might say what her identity is. All of those words, the way I'm using them this morning, you can just switch them in and out for each other. And right away we notice that as she goes on this journey, her search for meaning, which all of us are on that journey, as Elsa goes on her journey, what we see immediately in the film is that she can't do it alone. The first thing she needs to help her on her search for meaning is an embedded community. She needs an embedded community, right? She tries to do it alone, 
But Anna's like, nope, can't do it. I'm coming with you, right? And then Kristoff is like, well, I'm not going to let Anna go. And Olaf just sort of like, right, walks around like a snowman. <laughs> but they are with her. There's an embedded community around her that is helping her on her journey. So the movie acknowledges these meaning searches, these identity searches are hard, and we can't do it alone. Look, even Elsa, she wanted to do it alone, but she needed help from her embedded community. That's the first thing she needed. She couldn't do it alone. But she also couldn't do it alone from her community, but in addition to that, right from the drop, and this is the song that the choir sang, there's this voice. There's this voice that comes to her from above. There's this voice that speaks to her. There's this voice that is calling to her, that is wooing her. So in addition to an embedded community, to be drawn into this search for meaning, for purpose, for identity, there has to be, and what we see for Elsa, there's something transcendent. There's something transcendent that is breaking in and drawing her to it. Now, now transcendence just means above normal human experience, above us, beyond us, better than us, bigger than us, right? Because she hears this voice, and she, she's trying to resist it, but she's also really drawn to it. And that's because we, as humans, we are haunted by transcendence. We're haunted by it. There's times we want to stiff arm it. We see this from Elsa. I hear you, but I don't. Right? We want to stiff arm transcendence. But deep down in our inner beings, we're haunted by this idea of something bigger than us, something better than us, something that's out there that maybe, just maybe, could make sense of this world. We're haunted by that idea. And Elsa is haunted by that idea. So much so that she embarks upon a journey to go find this transcendent voice that is wooing her. So in one sense, the, the movie is saying, we can't find meaning alone. We need help. We need both something transcendent that draws us in, and we need an embedded community to help us get there. But what happens at the crucial moment in the film? What happens at the, the climax of, of this song, right? This is the reason why I showed you this clip as well. Well, first we find out that the transcendent voice is her mom. Her parents had died in a boating accident, you remember, in the first movie. And so the transcendent voice that's been singing to her, that has been drawing her in, is her mom. Which, that's fine, okay? That's fine. But let's keep going. What happens next? Well, first... Did you notice her embedded community is not there? So at the moment she's going to discover her meaning, she actually is physically alone. They've gotten lost along the way. She's, she's sort of gone on without them. So she's alone in that moment with the transcendent voice that turns out to be her mom. Again, totally fine. And there's a crucial line. So she stops singing, right? Elsa's not singing anymore. It's her mom has sort of appeared there, and her mom is singing over her. And this is the line. I have it on the screen. Grow yourself into something new. 
And the whole movie, she's been saying, are you the one? Are you the one? Elsa's been saying, are you the one? Is there someone else out there that I've been looking for to give me meaning and purpose? And at the crucial moment, her mom says, no, you are the one you've been waiting for. At the moment of the film, the film gets so close to saying we can't define meaning and purpose in ourselves. We need help. And then at the crucial moment, they're at the finish line, and her mom says, you don't need anyone else. All you need, Elsa, is you. All you need to to create your meaning, to find your meaning, to live out your meaning and your identity and your purpose is you. You don't actually need anyone else. Do you see it? I mean, the movie wants it both ways. It shows her needing help the entire way, and then it gets to the finish line, and it just stops so short. It's like, no, 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 actually, you don't need help. You are all you need. You are all you need. The truest, highest, best meaning has to be self-created, has to be self-given. This is what the film is arguing, I think. I think this is what the film is arguing. Now, here's what I'm not saying. Okay, I'm not saying that this movie is terrible. (laughs) I'm not saying don't see this movie. In fact, we almost certainly will watch this movie on Disney Plus over and over and over again, right? I'm not saying that. I'm not saying throw it out. I'm also not saying anything about the relationship with her mom, right? It's horribly tragic that her parents died when she was so young. She's got this incredible burden on her as the queen who had to ascend too quickly. So I think it's actually beautiful that the movie brings her mom back. So I'm not saying anything about that either. And I know that there's a conversation about this song in particular with Elsa maybe wrestling with her sexuality. I know there's a conversation about that. I am certainly not saying anything about that. Absolutely not. The only thing I am saying is, again, we need to be cultural analyzers. We need to say, what is this artifact teaching us? And as it relates to meaning, identity, and purpose formation, I think this artifact, this song, this movie is trying to teach us quite a bit. And again, I agree with so much of it. I'm like, yes, we do need help. Yes, we do need an embedded community. Yes, there is a transcendent other that is drawing us in and wooing us. But I do have to also admit that I I disagree with with the movie's final conclusions about this search for meaning. I disagree with where the movie lands. I wouldn't wouldn't agree with Elsa's mom, where she says, you are the only one that you've been looking for all of your life. I just wouldn't agree with that. In fact, I'm, I'm pretty convinced there's a better way. I'm convinced that we are all on a search for meaning, identity, purpose, You know, what is the meaning of life, right? It's one of the great questions. And more than that, what is the meaning of my life? And I'm convinced there's a better way, and I want to show you. Don't take my word for it, right? Let me me show you. Genesis 17. Genesis 17, it's in the first book of our Bibles. We've gone through, you know, the creation of the world, the fall, the rebellion of man. Things are hard. Things are difficult. And, and God is, is beginning afresh with a new family. He is going to draw people to himself, the Jewish people. That's not insignificant. That's incredibly important. Jesus was Jewish, right? 
And so he begins with a man named Abram. And he, he speaks to Abram in chapter 12 and in chapter 15 and then again in chapter 17. And, and let's, let's look at this together. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, stop right there. God showed up first. God showed up to Abram first. And yes, this is what happens in the movie as well, right? The transcendent voice swings in to Elsa's life before she goes on a journey, right? But notice the key difference. The entire movie, Elsa has no idea who the transcendent voice is. But here, in Genesis 17, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. God showed up first, God spoke with his words, and he defined who he was right from the drop. I am God Almighty. There's no questioning who this transcendent being is. And that phrase, I am, mm. That phrase, I am, it means, it means God was there at the beginning. It means he is right now, and it means he will be forevermore. I am. Do you know what Jesus does in the Gospel of John? Seven times, he grabs that phrase and says, I am, I am, I am, I am, I am. That's what Jesus does. The Lord shows up to Abram. And he says, I am God Almighty. He spoke those words. It wasn't a beautiful refrain. God didn't sing to Abram with some melodic notes. That was beautiful. But there's no clarity in that. God spoke and said, I am God Almighty. Abraham had absolutely 100% confidence who he was dealing with. And that's transcendence. You can't get any bigger than God showing up at your doorstep and saying, I am God Almighty. You just can't. So God defines who he is with his words. He lets Abram know who he is. And then what does he do? He says, walk before me and be blameless. And this is beautiful. Because the God of the universe, the most transcendent being that exists, who was, who is, and who is to come, he, Abram, let's go, on a, let's go on a walk together. Who do you go on walks with? You go on walks with your friends. You go on walks with your family. You go on walks with people that you are in relationship with. So we have transcendence in one sense. I am God Almighty, and in the next word, he says, walk before me, walk with me. That's imminence, that's closeness. The God of the universe comes close to Abram and says, let's take a stroll on the beach together. Walk before me. It'll be leisurely, we'll get to know one another. Walk before me and be blameless. That freaks us out. Be blameless. I knew God wanted me to be perfect, I can't, I can't do it. This is why I don't follow God. I can't be blameless. It's not a great translation. A, a better translation would be walk before me and be whole. Be put together. 
Do you ever feel in yourself a little bit of a separating? A little bit or maybe a really big, a big gap between who you are and who you want to be? God knows that that gap is there. God says the way to fix that is to, to walk with me. Walk before me, Abram, and, and be whole. Verse 2, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Covenant, it's a, uh, it's a word we got to unpack, right? Covenant is a committed, promised, vowed relationship. Covenant. It, it, it's a relationship that when God's on one end of it, it does not break. In fact, in Genesis 15, there's a, there's a covenant-making ceremony. And it seems strange to us, it seems ancient to us, but what people would do is they would cut animals in half. I know, I know, but stick with me because this is beautiful. They would cut animals in half, and then together they would walk through the animals as a way of saying, if either one of us breaks the covenant, may this happen to us. That's how serious covenant making was. And in Genesis 15, God puts Abram on the bench. He has Abram divide the animals, and then he's like, guess what, Abram? You are going to break this covenant against me because that's who you are, but I am the covenant-making God. I do not break my promises. I do not break my vows. So I'm putting you on the bench. You don't walk through. I walk through. And he picks it back up here. He says, covenant, relationship. We also find out, right? He says, and I may multiply you greatly may multiply you greatly. And that sounds really good for Abram. Boy, he gets a lot out of this, right? You might be thinking, if God promised me to multiply me greatly, well, I'd follow him too. But God isn't blessing Abram for Abram's sake. Earlier in Genesis 12, what we find out is that Abram is to be a blessing that will reach the entire world. God wants to give you a meaning and a purpose and an identity, not ultimately for you yourself, but he wants to give you an identity where you turn back around and bless others. And that's what he's doing with Abram. Verse 3, I love this. Then Abram fell on his face. It's the only response. Remember, we defined worship earlier as a response. And Abram, he, is, he has been met with the transcendent God. He has been invited into a relationship with that God. And all he can do is fall on his face. This is the only response that is appropriate to the God that has showed up in Genesis 12, in Genesis 15, in Genesis 17, and has wooed and has introduced and has said, be in relationship with me. Make yourself whole by being in relationship with me. It's the only response. Worship. Falling on your face. And God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be. Notice the, the be language, the identity language, the meaning language. You shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but instead your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Now these verses, verses 4 and 5, these are 
Abram slash Abraham's specific identity and meaning. I'm not the father of many nations. I get to be the father of Bevan and Owen. But that's not my meaning. That's not my purpose. That's not my identity. This is for Abram specifically. But do you notice what happens in verse 5? This was especially true in this day and age, in this cultural moment that we're reading about here in Genesis 17. God changes his name. Even today, you know, you, you name a baby something and you go, well, what does that name mean? Right? There's meaning associated. And God says, your identity, your purpose, your meaning is going to be found in me. It's going to be defined in me. And now I have changed your name. And do you know what the word, the name Abraham means? Literally, it means father of many nations. Father of many. That's Abraham's meaning, purpose, identity. Now, I just wonder. Might this be a little better? Might this be a, just a little thicker? Might this be just a little stronger? What we see in Genesis 17 is that Abraham discovers his meaning in relationship to God who then gives it to him to the point of changing his name. And so what I want to just humbly lay before you this morning is this. Discovered meaning given to us by another is better than created meaning that we give ourselves. Discovered meaning that is given to us by another is better than created meaning than we give ourselves. I, I, I believe this with my whole heart. You may not. You may disagree, right? But I, I do believe this with my whole heart for a lot of different reasons. I just want to give you one. Just one reason why I believe this statement to be true. You know, I capitalize the word another, Right? I believe that this is true. Discovered meaning given to us by another is better than created meaning that we give ourselves. The one reason, the one reason I want to give you this morning that this is better is because of the person that is giving it to you. Is because of the person that is giving it to you. I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings here this morning, but y'all, um, God is better than you. God is better than you. And so if what we're talking about here at a fundamental level is you get to give yourself meaning or God gets to give you meaning, that's game over for me. A long time ago, I was ready to raise my hand and go, God seems better than me. And ultimately, do you know who's better than you in the Godhead? All, all of the Godhead are better than you. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. But Jesus is better than you too. Jesus is better than me, right? Remember, just a few weeks ago, we looked at Colossians chapter 1, at the magnitude of who the Bible says that Jesus is. And often I am shocked at how small my Jesus is. Often my Jesus is no bigger than, than the little baby Jesus that's in our nativity set. That's how small I make my Jesus. I don't know about you, but I know I do that. But Colossians 1, I might remind us, says that Jesus created everything. That through him, that through Jesus, God created everything that we can see and that we can't see. That's bigger than my 
nativity set, Jesus. Colossians 1 also says that Jesus right now in this moment is holding the whole world together. I can't do that. Jesus is better than me. And remember what I said in that message, right? I asked the question from Mr. Rogers, who has loved you into being? Who has loved you into being? Who has loved you into meaning? Who has loved you into an identity? Who has loved you into a purpose for your life? And I said, yes, there has been embedded community that has done that for all of us. Parents, friends, family that has have pointed us in a direction, have loved us, have served us, have cared for us. But nobody has done that more for you than Jesus. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, he still created you and he still sustains you right now in this moment. You wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Jesus, quite literally. And so Jesus is better than me and I am happy to let him create the meaning for my life. I want to discover my meaning and my identity and my purpose within him because can I be honest? It's exhausting if you do it any other way. It is so tiring to try to create your own meaning and you don't have to. They made an entire movie about Elsa doing it and she even like sort of died at the end. It's, spoiler alert, I'm sorry. She doesn't stay dead, right? It's Disney, come on. <laughs> Creating your own meaning is going to burn you out. Creating your own meaning is going to make you exhausted. Maybe you feel that deep inside your soul this morning. There's a better way. There's a better way. One of my favorite passages of scripture is Jesus, who invites us to a lot of different things. And in Matthew chapter 11, right, I preached on this last semester. I'm going to keep bringing this back up, right? But what does Jesus say? He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. If you're trying to create your own meaning, you probably are weary and heavy laden. That is a burden you were not designed to bear. And Jesus says, lay it down. Come to me. Come to me, Jesus says. I'm better. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And what do you find in Jesus? What does he promise in himself? He says, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, you do have a meaning. You do have a purpose. You do have an identity. And I want to give it to you. Discover it in me. Let me give it to you. That will be better than a created meaning that you give to yourself. There's a better way, and we find it in Jesus. Here's what I want to do. More and more and more and more and more, I am becoming, not that I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't need this, but I'm becoming increasingly convinced that there is too much noise in our world. There's not enough silence. I just saw a study or saw a reference to a study the other day. This was done back in 20, 2016, so it's a, it's a few years old. And that study said that the average iPhone user touches their phone 2,600 times a day. It's a lot of noise. There's a lot of distraction. There's not enough silence. I want to give you some silence. And I don't, I don't know what you'll use this for. 
Maybe it'll be to yell at God. That would be okay. God's all right when you yell at him. Maybe it would be to accept Jesus' invitation and come home and find your identity and your meaning and your purpose in him. I don't know how you're going to use this silence, but I want to give it to you. And when I say silence, I mean silence. Please be respectful. And I'd also, if you're on your phone right now, just invite you to put it away. I just really would. Now, you know that I'm right, I've been up here like 37 times, and I've never really said that before. Because my philosophy is I want to create something in this space that actually just causes you to put your phone down because you want to see what's happening here. But whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, I'm convinced that you need more silence in your life, and so I want to invite you to that. 60 seconds. 60 seconds, and then I'll pray and dismiss. Father in heaven, you are so good to us. You are so kind to us. We don't deserve to be able to find our meaning and our purpose and our identity in you. We don't deserve that, Lord. And yet from the very early pages of our Bible, when you appeared to Abram, we see that that's what you want to do. You want to reveal yourself to us. You want to speak to us. You want to invite us into relationship. And you've done that so beautifully, most of all, in your son, Jesus. Thank you that we can have a relationship with you if we are only to trust and surrender our lives to him. And we all need that, Lord. I pray for each and every individual here in this room. I know that they are on their own search for meaning, Lord. I know I'm, I'm still searching in some ways. I still have moments where there's a gap where I forget that you have given me a meaning. I pray for each and every one of these students. I love them so much. But I don't love them as much as you do. And that always blows me away. Thank you for them. I pray for them. I ask a blessing upon them. Amen.